Okay, everybody, welcome aboard. That's stolen from Lenny, in case you didn't notice, but this is Andrea, and I'm here with my partner, Lou. Yeah, Andy, you got to get some new material there. Stop stealing I know, it really from sucks. Lenny. Okay, I, never, I got your own intro here. Like, I, welcome back, everybody, or good afternoon, everybody. Okay, you're part of this podcast, too, punk. I, yeah, but you're always the one, the one that starts it off. I mean, if you wanted to... I could. I mean, my my thing is, I usually say something like, "Welcome back, baseball fanatics." You know, so, something like that. You know, more more specific to the people listening, because I don't think we have any soccer fans listening to us right now, or hockey fans. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about panicking. We're going to talk about making good arguments. We're going to talk about injuries and replacements, and who you should be looking at, because we have a couple injuries that just popped up, and. What else are we going to talk about? Robbie Ray a little bit, uh, Ryan Braun on the base paths. Let's talk about Robbie Ray first. I just, um, I didn't say this to you on Facebook, but people are kind of freaking out a little bit because Robbie Ray's velocity is down. I would say that's probably one of the examples of just bad freakout mode because he struck out nine over six innings. It's still cold out. It's like the first weeks of the season. And I mean, if his command is still there, then... Forget about it. Well, I was going to say, it's not the velocity that worries me. The command is what maybe worried me in his most recent start. He walked five guys. I mean, the two hits allowed and the nine strikeouts and six innings were great. It was the five walks that were more concerning to me than anything. Can we give the guy the benefit of the doubt here? It's his second start of the season, and it's only his fastball, I think, that's losing velocity or, you know, that's down. So maybe he just hasn't really warmed up good yet well that's just it for me like i did a, a starting pitching uh show on monday kind of going over some of the struggling aces if you will and the one thing i was preaching is think about in a spring training these guys are limited usually to five or six innings 65 to 75 pitches they're not in like full force yet they're, they're, they're warming up still Right. I agree with you 100%. So let's not freak out about that. And we might as well get the freak out mode. You were talking today about what you're seeing on Facebook in the groups and stuff. And do you want to give some examples of how people are overreacting? And it's too early to be doing that. I mean, my theory is like, you drafted these players. If you liked him when you drafted him, you really have to continue liking him for a while. What else are you going to do with him? You can't drop him. You probably can't trade him, and you shouldn't trade any player at his lowest value ever. You really want to be on the other side of that trade. So tell me some uh, that you've noticed. Okay, well, I have a, a number of them, and there haven't been so many in, like, the bullpen or the Lenny Melnick fantasy baseball group, but I've seen a bunch in, like, the fantasy baseball universe or just random people posting things. And this isn't about guys who draft in, like, the 20th round. These are, like, top 10 round type people and I got one here someone asked if they should be dropping Aaron Nola for Jake Junis no. for, for Nola but yet instead they, they had a guy like Tyler Skaggs they could have dropped instead I mean that's the definition of overreaction to me oh are you kidding me I would say so that's crazy go ahead tell me more that's just unbelievable, That's just, though. Someone someone dropped Carlos Martinez after his first start against the Mets. They picked up Joe Panic just because he had two home runs in the first couple games of the season. And I'm not against Panic. He was on my waiver wire um, list of guys to look at. But, I mean, Carlos Martinez, the guy's probably a top 10 starting pitcher in fantasy baseball. Um, you don't drop Carlos Martinez for Joe Panic. No, you probably don't. And uh, it's really – kind of hard to say that that because you're dropping a, a hit a pitcher for a hitter 
I mean, is, was there any context there? There wasn't much context. It was just that they were worried about Martinez because he had one bad start to start the year. Well, he this crushed him. Okay. This is my favorite one here. I've seen people asking, should I be trading Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg because of their starts this week against the Braves? But, I mean, why would anyone in their right mind consider trading two of the top ten starting pitchers in fantasy baseball really for anything, at least at this point? Yeah, you definitely can't do anything right now, so freaking out is not good. Um, I have – a couple of injuries like I, my whole outfield is in the minor leagues in my AL labor on my AL labor team. I have Austin Hayes, Tilson and uh, ooh, one other one. But either way, they're all three in the minors and there's nothing I can do because if you if you move these players out of your active roster and they're not hurt, then you have to drop them. And that's that's really that's that's the hard part about it. So. Of course, when I saw Drew Robinson's name come up, you know, I, I immediately went over there and made some bids on him. But I had somebody ask me if they should drop Jackie Bradley Jr. for Drew Robinson. Um, big fat no on that one. I How told him no. This one. How about this one? Cutting closers because you have three or four already. In my opinion, you can never, ever do this in any league where you can get credit for saves. Firstly, you're hurting yourself by doing this, but you're also giving one of your league mates a chance to pick up a closer for free. I saw a post the other day about which closer someone should drop now because Greg Holland's going to be pitching next week, and he was deciding on dropping between Familia or Cody Allen. Why would you drop, firstly, why would you drop a closer to add another closer? And especially one like Familia or Allen, you drop a bench starter or or a bench hitter to do that. I mean, having Colin coming off is a benefit to you. It adds another closer. It means you're going to be strong in that category and can later trade them. But you certainly don't drop one of them. To hurt. It's going to hurt you and help somebody else. Right. I mean, it's just you might as well just leave Greg Holland out there, especially if you only have a few relief pitcher slots on your roster. Like I have a few leagues that you can only have three relief pitchers total and you have to have six starters. So – in that case, especially, you're just not doing yourself any favors, basically just wasting your fab money or your waiver wire claim, you know, to pick up the same guy that you dropped. And this person actually did what I did in a league or two is draft Greg Holland before he was signed. Like if you're going to draft him, why are you going to drop somebody to move him in there now that he is pitching? Take advantage of the fact that you got him at the discounted value because he wasn't signed and use it to your advantage. If anything, if you really are going to drop somebody, you might as well just trade. Go find someone who only has one closer or no closers and get a king's ransom because someone's going to be desperate for saves already because people overreact. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's talk about Yelich. I, do you own Yelich? I own him in a dynasty league, yes. So with Christian Yelich, he left the game after his right oblique tightened, right? So some people are saying that it looked kind of weird because he had this really awkward catch right before he struck out in the bottom of that inning, and that's when he came out of the game. But he's saying that this is not true, that there is no – it wasn't bothering him after the catch. It wasn't bothering him prior to the catch. So he's basically saying that's not where it came from. Now, I mean – Obliques are really tricky for hitters and pitchers. I mean, it's your middle of your torso, so you're always using those muscles to hit, to throw, to, I mean, pretty much everything you do in baseball. We've seen some players have a small, a minor oblique injury last for a couple games. We've also seen players miss like six months over an oblique injury. 
Well, yeah, and that's just it. Besides the back, like next to the back injuries, obliques are one of the worst because they can linger and they can linger. And right as you think you're revving up baseball activities again, you're feeling good, you'd have a setback. And you could have a setback for another six weeks. Right. And the thing about it is, is that the Brewers, they're solid. They are full of outfielders. They needed somebody to get hurt to play Domingo Santana, who, by the way, oddly enough, hasn't really been in the lineup the last few days. So I obviously they're not going to bring up uh, Keon Broxton. He's only got one option left. He's using it right now in the minors. So if they bring him up for this, they're going to have to keep him up. Brett Phillips. I mean, why bother bringing these guys up? They really want to have eight bullpen guys. So what I think that they'll do is put Yelich on the DL. They'll bring up a bullpen guy, and they're going to leave him there as long as they feel that they need to and not I rush him. I lost you there for a second. You were cutting in, in and out. Oh. Um, oh. But you're back now. And, yeah, um, there's there's no way that they're going to bring up one of those guys because, as you mentioned, they have too many outfielders to begin with. I mean, obviously they don't want to lose Yelich. He was having – great start to the season um but it, it might be a blessing in the skies at least for now to get everybody into the lineup all, all the time whether it be braun and the braun and santana and the corners in the outfield uh platoon Thames and aguilar at first base i mean they have the options i mean out of all the teams in baseball who could afford to lose one of their starting outfielders the brewers are probably at the top of that list i totally agree um i don't know if you heard what i said about keon broxton but yeah i heard the broxton part and i heard the um the Phillips part too. And that's exactly it. If you bring them up, then you lose the ability to bring them up later in the year. So yeah. um, you need to send yeah. them back down. So um, yeah, DL and Yelich makes the most sense if they think he's going to be out for more than a couple days. And if they don't want to bring him back or rush him back, or if they have any questions about how he's doing, like if he's ready, if he's a hundred percent healthy, they're going to leave him on the DL because of the fact that they have plenty of, other options at this point they don't want to hurt him you know definitely i mean i think the bigger issue in milwaukee right now is the closing situation because of uh cory kniebel's in injury and who's right. going to step in and i know i saw lenny make a good post here in the chat room about all the different options they have um and to me i mean it's got to be one of hater or jeffers you would think hater obviously has all the potential in the world jeffers has the experience back in 2016 before he was traded to texas he did have 27 saves for the brewers a very solid era and whip as well um, but hater you look at hater he's pretty much owned in most formats specifically the deeper ones so those owners obviously are hoping for hater but as someone who owns no brewers pitchers at all right now i'm willing to make a claim for jeffers and just hope he gets the job so it's interesting because earlier when we were having this discussion in the chat room during lenny's podcast um i looked at the bullpen the draft the depth charts at Rotowire. I always go there first. Lenny uses Sandlot Shrink, uh, either one, whatever. But I saw that Jacob Barnes was third in, in on the bullpen list, so it's listed one, two, three after the closer. Uh, now Jacob Barnes is listed in the first spot, which is interesting to me. That means that they changed him from third in line to first in line, and then Josh Hader, Matt Albers, Jeffrey Jeffries. Who would name their kid that? Jeffrey Jeffries. Okay, it's ridiculous. Dan Jennings, Boone Logan, Oliver Drake. Oliver Drake. I agree it would be ridiculous, but his name is Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy, Jeremy. Jeremy. No Jeffers. wonder. Okay, but, so but could you be. know what? There was there was a hockey player named Fedor Fedorov. Okay. 
just 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 to give you an idea of the way that people do sometimes name their name their kids. I mean, <laughs> okay, I might as well just call them better off. <laughs> okay, so Jeremy Jeffries, Jeff, maybe his middle name is Jeff. Jeremy Jeffrey Jeffries. Okay, either way, I don't know who's going to be the closer here. I don't know who's going to get the save. We don't know really how long Neville's going to be out, but he looked horrible going off the mound. He had to be escorted off the mound by two trainers, so he wasn't walking well. He grabbed his hamstring, if that means anything, but uh, he's going to have an MRI today. They're going to figure out how long he's going to be out or about, but they do have four or five potential closers over here, and I was asked, they were talking about it back and forth in the chat room. What I do know is that Jacob Barnes is the one being picked up on many leagues right now. He's the most picked up of any player at, you know, today. And so a lot of people are putting their faith in him, which to me doesn't make a ton of sense. None of these guys are that great. Haters probably has the best upside. But, you know, last year this guy pitched 72 innings. Barnes I'm talking about. A four ERA. He got 24 holds. He blew five saves and, and, and was successful in two save opportunities. So it doesn't look like he's that great in that role specifically, but you never know. He could be, you know what I mean? He's only, he had like five saves in his entire career, which is not very long. He's still rather young. He could be successful. You're right. And I think a lot of people are rushing to pick him up because they probably look and see that he has a save this year, I believe in one of their games where uh, Nabel came in and I maybe blew the save or something. And then Barnes came in when they got the lead back again. Um, That's all recency bias though. To me, I'm looking at, hater obviously because he has the the stuff and i'm looking at jeffers because he's done it before and what about dan jennings has he done it or matt albers is he does he have any saves no neither of these guys probably do but i guess the the point here would be to wait a second luckily this happened on a thursday and you have till sunday to make your waiver claims don't go out and just drop some some you know one of the things in the chat room today was davinsky now, that can be argued whether or not you think that it's a good idea to drop Davinsky, especially if you're in the need for saves. And that's, you know, makes logical sense if you need saves to, to drop Davinsky and pick up whoever is the, the closer. But we don't know for sure who that is right now. And Davinsky is a great effector to own on your team. He ranks right up there with Brad Peacock, maybe, but close, close. Yeah, he does. And speaking of Peacock, um, I saw someone ask if they should drop Ken Giles because Peacock got a three-inning save the other day. And I said, no, don't drop Giles. Peacock <laughs> happened to already be in the game before there was, you know, he he had the they, they were up by a run or whatever. They brought him in and they just left him because he can go that long. It wasn't because... Giles isn't the closer. Um, but B-Dom brings up a good point. You can't necessarily wait in the daily leagues. If you're in a daily league, oh, yeah. you want to be the first guy to jump, on, jump in and get that player. So I do understand that. Yep. But if you have a guy like Davinsky, um, I wouldn't be dropping a guy like Davinsky because he's a guy you want for the entire season. He might get the odd save opportunity, but the ratios are going to be good. He's going to give you innings. He's going to give you strikeouts. He's not the type of guy you want to drop. I mean, you, but see, there was no context in this statement that was made. I had to like pry context out of him to find out exactly what his situation is. Like, how many pitchers do you have? Who's on your, you know, who's on your roster besides the, I mean, this is two separate people that I'm talking about right now. I'm getting their conversations confused. But the point here is you've got to, 
look at the context, the whole picture. This is not just about who's going to be the closer. I mean, and definitely Bidon's right. You have to make a decision today because all of these guys are going to be picked up probably by tomorrow. But is it really worth dropping somebody good or somebody that you can see that has experience in what they're doing and could possibly be a starter? Or, you know, Davinsky doesn't have any chance of being a closer, but he definitely has good numbers. And we've seen it, and we can rely on him more than we can rely on. I mean, this is probably the first time we've ever even talked about Barnes, you know? Yeah, I haven't talked much about Barnes myself. Um, can't can't speak for you, but you kind of just alluded to that anyways already. Um, I, I, I think I think it's it's a it's tough sledding in general this early. Um, I'm not one to typically make a lot of moves early unless I have DL spots or unless I think I'm really gaining something big. Um, I've trust in my drafting abilities in the guys that I'm drafting. I mean, I'm not just drafting somebody because. I need a spot. I'm drafting somebody because I think they're going to help me somewhere. So to give up on them in a week doesn't seem. I Yeah, I totally agree that you need to remember and give yourself some credit for the team that you drafted. You can't, it's really not smart to go ahead and make crazy moves quickly without thinking it through because the it, think about this. If let's say that you don't pick up Barnes and he becomes the closer while Neville's out, uh, and you drop Davinsky, and then Davinsky does very well. You would be very much kicking yourself, saying, "Why did I drop Davinsky when this guy is not, you know, going to keep this job, and he's going to not offer me what Davinsky does?" It's worse to have to say that than to not act at all and trust in yourself. It's worse to say, "I dropped a good player because I acted out of, uh, in you know, out of uh, irrational, <laughs> whatever, quick, made a decision too quick." It's better to. To say that I kept what I drafted, and yeah, he may or may not be good, but at least I know I kept what I had. Because yeah, and I can give you another prime example of this. I'm co-owning a team with a good friend of mine, um, Ron McLeese, who I do a bunch of shows with, and we drafted Shane Green. And Green got off to a bit of a rough start, and Mike Fultonevich of the Braves got off to a hot start. So without consulting with me, he dropped Green. Picked up Fultz Nevich, Nevich, and I said, no, no, go pick up Green right now. I don't care if you keep Fultz Nevich, find someone else, pick up Green. Thankfully, he did. And then last night, Green comes in, strikes out the side, and gets a save. So thank God we got him back. But I would have probably gone to Chicago and strangled him if someone else got Green. Yeah, watch out for about that. There's not a lot of closers available on the waiver. Mike Fulton, which is replaceable in so many ways that you have to look at the overall context, I think. And so how would you tell people to decide when to make these moves? When do you give up on a pitcher? When do you give up on a play? When do you say, okay, it's time for you to be replaced? Because there is a point in the season where it's too late. That's true. Well, for a closer, at least, I'm not dropping a closer until the manager comes out and says, we're (laughs) using this guy instead. You know, like I'm not dropping Shane Green, for instance, until – Who's the manager for the Tigers now? Ron Gardenhire? Is, is, is that who it is? I don't Maybe. even know. Is either that way, true? Either way, either way, either way. I, I think it is. If he comes out and says, we're now using Joe Jimenez or Wilson instead of Green, that's when I drop Green. Until then, I'm keeping my closer. Okay, it's an interesting point that you bring up about the closer situation. And I think that they're their own, they have their own category as far as what to do. Because... When they get replaced, I guess that would be a good time to get rid of them, I guess, you know, and replace them. But when you start seeing your closer, like let's say that you own Hector Neris. Like 
you might want to start preparing that this guy could lose his job, right? Or even Shane Green at the beginning, you could say, this guy is not pitching well. I must look at who's going to replace him should he get fired. And then maybe pick up their backup if you know that, you know, if there's a definite backup to the plan. I mean, in in Philly, there isn't really a backup, like, named. I mean, I would think that Edubre Ramos could have a spot, a shot at getting saved in Philly, but he's not even on the list at all of closers in Philly. Yeah, and I would have, uh, before the injury, I would have thought if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be Pat Neshek, but he's injured now, too. I mean, I think Naris has a bit of a longer leash than people think at this point. Yeah, he might. You're right, he might. But I, I would keep an eye on Eddie Bray Ramos. I, I, he's got problems with his command, but either way, he's definitely got like super, got, like, super good skills if he can ever hone in on them. The one closer, Andy, I've seen drop that I haven't had a huge issue with has been Brad Ziegler. Um, one, because I don't think his, I, th- I think he's well past his prime. He saw last year a big drop off. Also, uh, the Marlins have played okay so far this year. It's early. They're not going to have a lot of save opportunities. If you want to take a shot on Barraclaw or Steckenrider over him, I don't blame you because the, the overall ratios and the numbers are going to be better in my opinion. And at some point, one of them will be the closer. But outside of Ziegler, I would not be really dropping any of closers at all by the way we were talking about the texas rangers closing situation earlier it appears right now it's pretty set in stone it looks like it's it's going to be kella he has two saves already so if you have claudio for instance and you need to pick up another pitcher might be time to drop a guy like claudio because kella's the guy who's getting the saves i just still like if i had any way of keeping claudio i would because i don't trust Keela either. He might be having a great start to the season, but that could change at any moment. And we know who's next in line there. It would be Claudio. And so for that reason, I would try to hold on to him, you know? Absolutely. But if you're in a situation, of course, like we've been talking about where you're, you know, jumping, jumping, maybe jumping the gun a little bit to drop somebody, drop a guy who is not in the role right now. You know, like you're you go go with what you're seeing. And Kella's the guy. If you have to drop somebody because you want to grab a guy who's hot right now or you want to stream a starter or you want to pick up a guy you think is going to get called up soon. Claudio's the guy to drop, not the guy who's already in the role. Yeah, so that's probably true. Now, with White Sox, you have Soria and um, Jones, who basically just combined, worked as a team to blow a four-run lead to the Tigers of all teams. And, you know, that was interesting. That's the second time the Tigers have come back, like in the last inning, from multiple runs behind to win the game this season. Out of six games, they've done that twice. They have, and it's interesting, and it's funny because Soria started the season well. You know, he got his first two saves, and then yesterday I looked, and I was so nervous because I own Soria in yeah. a number of leagues. I saw that he blew, he blew the save, but then my heart kind of stopped beating so fast when I saw that Nate Jones also struggled prior to Soria coming in. So yeah. at this point, I still think it's Soria's job because Nate Jones struggled too. I mean, you have to, you certainly have to look at that, but we talked about that earlier. Both those guys were going late in drafts where I think that's a perfect handcuff situation. If you're going to draft one, you want to try and draft them both. So the good news coming out of Seattle is that Nelly Cruz is, has very little or no swelling left in his ankle. So he'll probably come back like right uh, when he, the minimum time, uh, required because he went to the didn't he go to the DL either way he'll be back in like the next six games or something because 
It says that Daniel Vogelbach will probably play DH, which makes Lenny very happy. I know. I think he owns Vogelbach somewhere. And uh, that's that. But Mike Zunino is going to be needing more than the minimum 10 days to recover. He's got an oblique strain. Imagine that. Uh, the management just says it's to be safe rather than sorry. but And that, you know, Zunino didn't have any setbacks. But um, Basically, because they have a backup over there, that they are they're cool. They said they just want to slow it down and uh, make sure that he's healthy before he comes back. Now, Zunino is not the best catcher in baseball, but he definitely was going to be utilized for some power. I don't think that um, it's going to really harm him too much, but it's kind of like you're impatient waiting, you know. And so I own him in um, AL Labor or maybe Tout Wars, and I went to pick up. Uh, I went to pick up Molly. I think uh, it, the, uh, the, the the backup on, on the Blue Jays, yeah. Yeah, maybe I can't. I don't even know who he is. Let me look him up. Yeah, he's uh, he's Russell Martin's backup. He plays probably about two times a week, two three times a week. Okay, um, maybe that's not him. That's a pitcher, dude. Mailey? Maley. I think it's M A I L E. Mailey. Why would Mailey come to my mind if it wasn't the name? You know what I mean? Like, I just pulled this out of random out of my head. It's probably him. Um, I mean, I think think Mailey's one of those guys that catches for specific pitchers on the Blue Blue Jays. As you know, obviously some pitchers prefer to throw to certain catchers, and that's kind of the days where the starters um, take a day off. Speaking of that, though, I have Salvi Perez in a bunch of leagues. And instead of going with a guy who is playing nearly every single day, like maybe a Jan Gomes or someone who could hurt my my stats, I went up and picked up Max Stassi on the uh, the Astros, a guy who, when he's playing, hitting in a great lineup and can, exactly. can actually can actually help your team out a little bit. Yeah, he's not playing every day, but he's not hurting me when he's not playing. I agree. I mean, the catching, the catcher position, you're not always looking for just only power there. Unless you're getting the massive amount of power, like with Zunino, then you, then it kind of evens out the fact that his batting average is just horrendous. But it, it sometimes could be better to just get a guy that plays with a decent average. And instead of trying to target runs, RBIs, home runs, and that, you just target a guy that's going to keep your batting average stable. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's not going to hurt you, but when they play, could actually help you. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about something you brought up to me about backing up opinions with specific reason. So I don't want to get like really deep into this, but and, and it's unfortunate that it just doesn't seem like it's that in the front of conversation anymore. It just seems like you could say something, but you don't have you have to really when you make an argument, you have to back it up with a specific reason. Like you can't just say stuff like. Well, he's got a great bat skills, but what what bat skills like specific when you make an argument, you make a claim. The It's a very simple way to, to do this. When you build an argument, you make a claim and then you back it up with either um, statistics or evidence or a reason that would make it lot, you know, logically false. So you, you don't say, well, he's a good batter, so he will hit 20 homers. No, but what makes him a good batter? Okay, he's got great contact skills. But what if his batting average is 220, then that doesn't show me that he has great – or his contact percentage is 68%. 
that's not really good contact skills. So, like, I just think it's important. I love debating with people. We love what we have in the chat room. We will never, I mean, honestly, I think that sometimes, like, feelings get a little bit hurt or, like, offended. Probably, maybe it's just me, but it's like sometimes you feel like somebody's just being offensive to you because they're arguing their point. But, when we, like, the best thing that you can do to get better and better at sounding smart is to back up your argument with a specific example or evidence about why you feel that way. So like I'm going to take Balbuena in today's daily game because he has the potential to hit two home runs. Why does he have the potential to hit two home runs? Because he's, he's one for five off of this pitcher batting 200. So why does he have the potential to, to get two home runs? Well, because he smashes righties and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, that makes sense. You know, this guy smashes righties. Maybe he hasn't been that lucky against this particular pitcher, but in general, he's very good against, you know, right-handed pitchers. And so that's what we put as our reason. Uh, you know, every argument needs a valid reason or an, uh, uh, some evidence to back it up. And then if you practice that all the time, then you your arguments always sound, at least they're reasonable, even if you're not always right. At least you're reasonable, and your um, your process is sound. That's all. That's well, all. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's one thing to have a gut feeling, but have something to back it up. I um, I have like a legitimate example, something that happened to me specifically with this. And thanks for bringing this up because now I can talk about it. So the other day, I think it's Fantasy Baseball Universe on Facebook. Someone posted about whether or not to start Corbin against the Dodgers. So I make a comment saying the Dodgers have a lot of left-handed hitters Corbin can probably neutralize them or they might not even be in the lineup at all I ended up saying he's a very solid lefty he finished the season strong last season he looked good in his first start I'd start him today someone responded to me by saying how is Corbin a solid pitcher and then all he did was post the link to Corbin's baseball reference page to make his point this to me is a prime example of not actually making any points or analysis then it turned out Corbin pitched a gem, seven and a third, one hit, one walk, 12 strikeouts. So I go back and I ask the person if they still think this was a bad decision to start Corbin. Obviously, I got no response at all. And the problem I have with this is not that he was wrong because we're all wrong sometimes. None of us are always right. But the comment that he made with the, the baseball reference page could have swayed the person who made the post to not start Corbin, causing him to miss that amazing start. So that's my issue with it. If you're going to give people advice, back it up with something more than a player stat page. Right. So yesterday there was a question in the fantasy baseball group about whether or not to, the guy said he had Ramirez at second base. Now I'm assuming that this is Jose Ramirez. Okay. One of the best hitters in baseball. Even though he's off to a crappy start, he's a good he's a good hitter. They wanted to know if they should drop uh, not not they didn't say specifically drop Ramirez. They just said I have Ramirez playing at second and Otani the hitter is uh, uh, is free on the free agency on the waiver whatever you know what I mean. And of course the first guy says you know get Otani and it's like well I mean you got to think about this for a second. No matter how good he is, how many at-bats is he going to get? And if you're thinking about dropping Jose Ramirez for him, you're out of your mind, right? I mean, so <laughs> one guy just said – Yeah, maybe drop your fourth or fifth outfielder for him, but certainly not a guy who's going in the top 20, 25 picks who's hit over 300 the last few years is improving his power numbers and can steal you 20 bases. That, that That's a no-no. So does even Otani, does he qualify at second base? I mean, one guy said to stop playing at Yahoo. Obviously not. 
I don't know. No way he qualifies at second base. He's never played the infield. Okay, he's a DH, right? Even in Japan. I think he's a DH, and maybe Yahoo has him in the outfield. So I guess the best thing is, you know, if you're going to tell somebody else and you're going to use your expertise and your knowledge to tell other people what decisions that they should make, it's important to think about it for a minute and not just spout off things like grab Otani. It's almost like at what expense, though, dude? I mean, yeah, Otani's hitting well. He's pitching well. Um, how well for the rest of the season, we don't really know that, but how many at-bats do you expect to get? That's what I asked the guy. Instead of, like, saying, no, don't do it, I just said, how many at-bats are you expecting from Otani? How many are and you? That, and that's that's a perfect question. To me, I think 250, 300 would be a lot to expect from Otani. I don't see him playing more than twice a week or so in the lineup, but that's something that people forget. Um, sometimes is it's not always just about who you're picking up. It's also about who you're dropping because you're not just gaining what you're picking up. You're also losing the points or the stats from the person you're dropping. So how much better is the player you're getting versus the player you're dropping? Yeah. I mean, the guy did say, and he was specific about the fact that this is Otani the hitter. Now in Tout Wars and a couple other leagues, we have Otani the hitter and Otani the pitcher. I'm assuming that that's probably kind of like how it's going in a lot of leagues. If you have Otani, the hitter pitcher, then you can manipulate your lineup and you can roster him wherever you want in there. And that's great, especially in Dynasty Leagues because he's still young. But if you only have Otani, the hitter, and you're going to replace some active player in your lineup, it would have to be somebody that is pretty crappy to to justify, even if Otani hits a home run every time he's, you know, like every, what about the weeks that he's pitching to when he's making two starts? Is he going to get... Any at-bats that week? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, may, maybe one at DH, but that, that's just it. I mean, let's let's project for Otani, for instance. I, I'm going to go on the high side, but let's say Otani ends up being a 270 hitter, scores 45 runs, 20 homers, 45 RBIs. Is that really the type of player you want to roster on your offense? Not if you have not so. unless you can move them around like but um, unless you can move them around daily like beat on set and daily leagues are very much different than weekly leagues. I mean, I wouldn't own this guy in a weekly league, especially not the hitter or the pitcher. But in a daily league, I could totally see why you would want him. I mean, it feels like you have just that much more flexibility on your roster. But unless you can manipulate it every single day and plan to, then to me, it's kind of a it's kind of just trying to grasp at something that's probably not going to happen. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, the numbers I projected for Otani, they could be high in theory. I don't think they're going to be any higher than that. But it's not hard to find a person who's going to hit 270 and 20 homers, 50 runs, 50 RBIs. I mean, you can pick that up off the waiver wire very, very easily. Yeah, they might do it in 450 at-bats versus 250 at-bats, but you're still getting the same amount of, of stats. Yeah, and I mean every projection system in the every any projection system that you look at is basically guessing because all we have to go off for this guy is what he did overseas. And what he did overseas was he batted he he had like five plate appearances or like 20 at bats or something like that, you know, last year. So, I think he was having an injured season too, so you can't even really take this it wasn't even a full season, I don't think. So, you can't even really take that. So any kind of computerized projection system is just going to be, like, broken over this guy. Well, yeah, that's just it. There's that. But also with a guy like him, you mentioned it, there's not really anything to go off of except for overseas stats. At least with guys who have been in the majors for a few years, you can look at what they've done in the past. 
take the good, take the bad, and make somewhat of an educated guess. Because that's all it is, is it's guesswork. Take an educated guess of what the player could do. Are they on the rise? Are they on the decline? Have they had a good season, bad season, good season? Um, like I think Tanner Roark is a guy that's a perfect example because he's had one terrific yes. season followed yes. by a bad season, followed yep. by a great season, yep. followed by a down season. So Every other year. Are you looking at the good numbers? Are you looking at the bad numbers? Or are you hoping for something right in the middle? Well, I just say it's time for Roark to have a decent season because um, this is how he does it. Good season, bad season, good season, bad season. There is no explanation for that, and it could be totally just um, uh, whatever. It probably doesn't have anything to do with each other. You know what I mean? Like it's coincidental. It's not really based on anything. But honestly, I looked at Roark earlier in spring, and I said, oh, it's time for him to have a decent season this year. I don't own him, but I can see why how people would – there are players like that. It's just crazy. But you can't really use that and really logically say that this is going to be the way it is because it doesn't make a lot of sense that a pitcher would have a good season, a bad season, a good season, a bad season like that for his whole career. No, at some point it's going to even out. Um, I think Matt, Matt Harvey is another interesting example because he looked pretty good in yeah. his first start this year. We know how bad he was last year, but you and I have talked about him a bunch. I think if he's going to do something, it's going to be this year because he wants to have a job next year. He's going to become a free agent next year. Um, he's like, I would take a shot on him. Oh, totally. Like, so if you see Harvey and Fulton Newich on the free agents on the waiver wire. I think that a good way to think about it is who who here has the most upside. Yeah, I mean, Fulte is an average pitcher at best. Harvey, we've seen, has great upside, even though when he's down, he's down. He still has better upside, and I would take a chance on the player with the better upside than the mediocre player that is consistent, you know, because you can always turn around and drop him, and Harvey has all the reasons in the world to, to give his best stuff this year. Well, that's just it. And Harvey's one of those guys that you can add potentially on free agency if you're in a shallower league who could help you win a league. Foldy's not going to help you win a league. No, he's probably going to just sit there and just wreck you. So here, this is interesting. Manager Bruce Bochy of the Giants. He In the spring, he said that he um, would use Pablo Sandoval as the, the third catcher, uh, like the emergency catcher, and um, – he and Sandoval came to spring looking good, looking like he was in shape with an outfielder's glove and a catcher's glove. So there was some stuff mentioned about that, but nobody ever really took it serious. I mean, Sandoval used to be a catcher, but he hasn't caught in a long, long time, and he hasn't even been good. I mean, you know, so just yesterday again, Bochi revisits the idea about him being an emergency catcher, saying that he has so much more He's more comfortable using Nick Hundley to pinch hit, knowing that he has Sandoval in case of an emergency. Can you even imagine? No, I really, I really can't imagine. But I've, I've never really been a Sandoval fan, um, unless it's the postseason. So I might be a little biased there. Um, I also saw what he did when the Red Sox spent all that money on him, and it was a complete disaster. So, I mean, I understand teams needing to have a, an emergency catcher, let's say, but um, to be relying on Pablo Sandoval for anything, whether it be fantasy or real life, is grasping at straws, to say the least. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that makes you more comfortable to know that your third catcher is uh, Pablo, but okay. So <laughs> we got that going. No. 
Here's another interesting thing. I don't even know if, if Lenny brought this up in the podcast today because I was too busy debating with Bidon and, and all my boys to uh, listen to the podcast. So I might be repeating stuff, but I think it's an, it's funny that – not funny, but very interesting, maybe a little funny that the Brewers – they held a uh, resident-only sale. They sold several thousand of their tickets when the Cubbies come to town ten times this season because the Cubbies are right up the road. Pretty much the Cubby fans, they flock over to Milwaukee when the Cubbies are playing at Milwaukee and then the, you know at least half of the stands is full of Cubby fans. So what they did to counteract that is to sell – they had big in-resident sale and they sold as many tickets as they could to only people that live in Wisconsin – and yesterday, it just kind of, you know, uh, before the game council, Craig Council was saying that, you know, um, he didn't know for sure what he said that we'll see if the if the plan that they hatched has any positive results. I know they tried something different with the ticket sales. I hope it's a positive result for Brewers fans. And yesterday was just a nightmare for Brewers fans, especially like Ryan Braun got all cocky on the base paths because he knows that John Lester can't throw anybody out or has he struggles throwing base runners out. So he was able to steal second and then uh, and then he got cocky and tried to steal again and, and Lester threw him out. So that blew up in their face. And then the Cubbies scored in the first three innings like four or five times. So um, and and the and by the way, the Cubby fans were as loud as ever in Milwaukee. So I don't know yeah, what they I, were, I, I, and went with Braun for a moment. Um, and I mean, I, I don't have any science behind this. It's more of a qualitative argument than a quantitative one. But I feel like with veteran players specifically, they typically have their own green light unless the manager actually gives them a, like a sign to steal or a sign to not steal. Yeah. He's probably going to go when he thinks he has a chance. And I like the aggressiveness, especially what we talked about earlier with Yelich being out. Um, Braun's trying to play his way into every day at bats, whether Yelich is there or not. That's so true. I understand. So I understand the aggressiveness kind of showing, look, I can do this. I can do that. I love the, I actually like the aggressiveness. Um, and although he hasn't gone off to a great start this year, he does have two huge home runs that both led to Brewers victories. So, um, I mean, I don't personally mind what Braun did. Now, I don't remember exactly when in the game it was, how many outs there were. If there was two outs and he tried to steal third, that's a big mistake. That's just bad baseball IQ. If there's one out and trying to get to third so a ground ball or a sacrifice fly can score you, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'll say this about Braun. you got to love his uh, aggressiveness somewhat. If you're a Braun owner, you love the fact that he's running and that he's healthy because one of the biggest concerns about Braun is his health, more so than his number of at-bats because it seems like you know, as long as he's playing and well and he's healthy, they're going to find a way to get him into the lineup. So, I mean, I was concerned about Thames not getting into the lineup, but he's been hitting against all the righties, and that seems to be the way that they're going to continue to roll with that. Um, and, you know, Braun, obviously, uh, this this ha I think this happened before Yelich was injured, so I get what you're saying about trying to be aggressive to play into regular playing time. I mean, it makes total sense. I just think it's kind of payback a little bit because what are they thinking who in their right mind would think that because they're going to sell a certain number of tickets you either sell all your tickets to only wisconsin uh residents or you because just because you sell a few thousand tickets to residents doesn't mean that the other ten thousand tickets aren't for sale and the cubbies can't find them on all of these resale sites like what 
I guarantee some of these in-resident people put it up for sale on Ticketmaster or wherever you can sell your tickets and resold them to Cubby fans. Yeah, they probably it's kind of, it's kind of like the uh, the stock market for uh, tickets. You buy up the tickets and then sell them to people um, who you know will pay more than they should be because they want to go to to the game. It's actually quite a good business idea. It really is. It, I agree with you. There's a lot of. I mean, I've I've been interested in that for a while. I've no, not like put any effort into learning all about it, but it seems like it could pay off. You know, buy a whole bunch of tickets to a team that sells out a lot, and then you make back the money that you spent going to games. So whatever it is, but I just think that the whole idea that we're going to keep Cubbies fans away because by selling tickets to residents only is just, it, it's ludicrous. Okay. None of the logic. No, it definitely is. Let Lenny post a question here in the chat room. Can Otani make the AL all-star team as a pitcher in DH? Firstly, yeah, he can. But even if he isn't pitching or hitting that great, a lot of the all-star voting comes down to popularity and it, just kind of like a show. Like mm-hmm. I would be surprised if Otani didn't make the all-star game if he's even playing adequately mm-hmm. because people will vote him in just to see him. Right. And I don't think that he's going to play both positions because there's too many uh, all-stars trying to get in the game for this guy to get in the game twice. Well, that's a good point, too. But at the same time, for pitchers in the all-star game, what? They usually go one inning. Yeah. So, I mean, you yeah. you, you, you let him pitch one inning, let him have one at bat, and then you pull him. But think about all the DHs that are out there that are all-stars, like Nelly Cruz and uh, J.D. Martinez, Martinez and these guys. He doesn't guys. have to start. He doesn't have to start at the as a um, as a DH. He doesn't have to be the starting DH. He could pitch an inning. They throw him in to pitch for an inning, and then after Cruz or Martinez or whoever has had their at bat, they can put Otani in to hit once or twice if, if they really wanted to. I mean, there is options. The same way we have the options in daily fantasy leagues, the manager does have the option to put him um, in as a hitter and then as a pitcher or vice versa. Yeah, I just don't think – I'll put my money on the fact that it's not going to happen. He'll probably get in the all-star game, but he isn't going to be a hitter and a pitcher. Honestly, if I'm the Angels, I wouldn't I wouldn't want him to be anyways. I want to keep <laughs> yeah. this guy as yeah. healthy and as fresh as I could possibly keep him. Um, I, I mean, sometimes it bothers me when guys don't go to the All-Star game. But at the same time, I understand why they don't because at the end of the day, their focus is playing for the team that pays them, that owns them, um, that's supposed to run them out 162 games of the year. So I totally get why people do skip the All-Star game and kind of similar to the home run derby. I know I know Aaron Judge has kind of already said, I'm not going to be in the home run oh, derby. Oh, Lord, help me. Why? And why? Why? Because he, he, he hurt himself last year. Even though he won it last year, he hurt himself. He injured his shoulder and it affected him. And is it really worth the 15 minutes of fame at the All-Star game to win the home run derby or to be in the home run derby to affect the entire second half of your season? Well, I don't know if I necessarily believe in that whole idea that the home run derby is going to hurt you. but And I also think that 
a good chunk of your job. It does in two ways, though, because one, you could hurt yourself because you're swinging out of your shoes constantly. There's no breaks. You're just swinging, swinging, swinging. And also, maybe not for judge, but for a lot of guys, they are changing their swing around specifically for the all-star game and for that home run derby. And then it affects them when they go back and have to actually have real regular at-bats against real pitchers. Their, Their swing is completely off. It affects them possibly from an injury standpoint, but also just mechanically. How can that be? I mean, if they don't get hurt in batting practice and why are they, I mean, you know, I can see like the, the hitting over and over and over like that, like is way more than you're ever going to do in any normal batting practice, but the balls come at you perfectly pitched. They're not fastballs. I mean, how do you, how do you get out of your style of swinging just because you have basically it's batting practice for way too long? Well, not even though, because even in batting practice, you see guys working on going the other way because they're going against a certain pitcher that might be throwing a lot of balls away from them. I mean, not everyone in batting practice is just trying to hit the ball as far as they can, whereas the home run derby, that's the entire point of it. Swing yeah. as hard as you can, hit the ball as far as you can. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in your defense, I've seen a lot of players not come back after the home run derby the same as they were before, but who knows really why. I mean, my only my only argument is the one I've made is that they it just messes with with their mechanics because no one I mean maybe Chris Davis or Adam Duvall some certain guys that are purely home run hitters yeah like Joey Gallo but, but Gallo. yeah but other uh, other players who typically in their at bats are just trying to put the bat on the ball have a good at bat make contact go the other way whatever it might be trying to hit home runs constantly is going to affect them when they go back to playing regular games against pitchers who are not just throwing them fastballs, but are throwing them change-ups and sliders, curves, splitters, whatever it might be. It's, it's a completely different strategy when you're actually up at the plate with a guy on base versus just trying to hit the ball as far and as hard as you can. What about somebody that says, I'm not going to play in the All-Star game? Just, I'm not going to play in the All-Star game in general. I mean... I, I kind of touched upon it already in the sense that I understand why they don't want to because they don't want to maybe risk an injury or they don't want to deal with the travel. They just want to, you know, take the time to actually use the all-star break to rest up for the second half of the season. But at the same time, I mean, the fans are voting. If, if it's part of the fan vote and the fans are voting you in, I think you kind of owe it to the fans to at least show up and do something. I totally agree with that. Um, I you know, last year it was Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. These guys, they know they're going to probably go to be invited to the All-Star game. But it's pretty cocky when you're like way before the season even, you know, basically before they even consider deciding who's going to go that you've already said, I'm not going. Basically, I know I'm I know that I'm going, but I'm not going to show up. To me, that kind of just basically looks at your fans and says, I don't care about you. I'd rather do something else that day. And I know the reasons and I get it, but I still kind of feel annoyed and offended if my players say that they're not going way before they even get asked to go. Yeah, and you might disagree with what I'm about to say, but honestly, I kind of put some of the onus then on the fans because if a player comes out and says, I don't want to go to the All-Star game. Then why, why are you voting are you, him in? Why are you voting them? Yeah, yeah exactly. I why agree. Them in? If, they're, if they're already doing that, you're taking away a spot from somebody else. I agree with you. That's totally true. And some players need it more for their resume, right? Like some players, like Mike Trout, he doesn't really need to add another all-star game to his resume. He's already been to however many, you know, 
every Mike year. Trout, Mike Trout and the Angels are better off having Trout get those four or five days off to rest himself for the second half of the season. I agree. I agree totally. Okay, we got nine minutes left. Let's see what else we got. David Price is having a good season. What were your feelings about David Price going into the season? Um, I was I was actually quite bullish on David Price because he's not the kind of guy that just is going to lose his stuff. I mean, I think the the issue for Price was a the injury and b having to deal with that Boston media. But if you remember, you and I did that uh, prediction show. Um, I think about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he was my pick for AL Comeback and Player of the Year. And although yep. it's early, yep. certainly looks like the front runner so far. Fourteen innings, no, no runs, two starts, pretty good, pretty good. Well, he's going to be the key to the Red Sox to me. I already told you that um, for for them trying to win the division and go go far in the postseason, he's really the key there because you know what you have from Sale. I think Pomerantz, when he comes back, is going to be solid. I don't know what to expect from Porcello. I don't know what to expect from Erod. But with Pre- with Price, I mean, if he pitches the what he's expected to do, what they pay him to do, that Red Sox pitching staff, that one two punch is as good as anybody's with Sale and Price. Agreed, totally. There was a question today in the chat room, and I think, beat on. let me know if I'm wrong. I might be wrong, and you weren't there today, Lou, but it was a question about whether or not they should pick up Eduardo Rodriguez. I wonder um, what they asked, what what did we think that Eduardo Rodriguez was going to do? Well, the problem is with that, that we have no idea because he's never been healthy, not one time, ever. Like, maybe for, (laughs) we only just, he's been healthy enough to know his name, and that's about it. Yeah, he's he's a little he's a little bit of uh, of an interesting guy to me because he's always had the he's always had the potential. I know that they, they got him as a good prospect from the Orioles in that trade. Um, I mean, I think you just have to temper your expectations with him. But I mean, I like the strikeout totals. I mean, even last year, although we got hit around a little bit here and there, um, the 150 strikeouts in 137 innings that's going to help you from a fantasy standpoint. I also think that. He might be. He might benefit from having guys like Sale and Price in his rotation, guys who have established themselves as legitimate left-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball. I mean, those are guys that he can learn from. So to me, I mean, he's a perfect stash type. If you have a DL spot open, pick him up, move him to the DL, use a free move to grab somebody, and when he comes back, deploy him in, in your rotation. And if he starts to get beaten around a little bit, then you drop him. But there's no harm in grabbing. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at his stuff, his skill set, he definitely has uh, good skills. Unfortunately, we haven't really seen him play out for a full season. But one thing you can look at when you're trying to analyze a pitcher is how many hits does he give up? Does he give up more hits than innings pitched? And with Eduardo Rodriguez, he's always been good about keeping his hits down. Um, He strikes out a good chunk of batters when he's healthy. I keep saying when he's healthy, but I I would say this. If you, he's scheduled to start this Sunday, um, and I would I would maybe hold him out of my roster until I saw what he did on Sunday because it, sometimes it takes guys a couple times. But you you know that's just an opinion. I I have definitely started guys coming off the DL on their first outing. It just depends on what you like. But right. and then on top of that, if he does have a bad outing and you have him active, you can't just drop him right then. You got to give the guy a couple outings before you decide if you're going to keep him or not. 
Yeah, and that's a really good point you bring up because I've actually personally been burned more by sitting a guy out because I don't trust him coming back than been burned by actually using him right away. So now because because of my personal experiences, if I have him on my roster and he's going to pitch, I'm going to throw him out there because if I'm not going to throw him out there, why is he on my roster? I don't know. I always think about golf when I think about this scenario because every time if I miss – if I – if I don't play golf for maybe a year or so, the first time I go out there, I'm like amazing, right? I hit all of my balls down the fairway and like, you know, they're going up on the green and I'm making par and stuff like that. It's always the first time back from not playing after a long time that it's like I'm good. But then, you know, that quickly goes away and it probably has nothing to do with anything except for just it's in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, I, I mean, a lot of sports to me is still mental. Obviously, you have to have the physical skills and the, the wherewithal to, to perform well. But a lot of it's mental. And you go out there sometimes um, and you're not expecting much out of yourself because it's your first time. You end up playing really well because you're not in your head. You set low expectations and all of a sudden you exceed them. Lenny asks, OK, Andy, would you rather have Jake Odorizzi or Tyler Chatwood? Oh, I don't like either of them, but I, yeah, I mean, it's going to sound stupid for me to say Chatwood, right? But I would really probably, really probably. I'm, I don't think so. I'd rather have Chatwood. I mean, I look at Chatwood's career numbers outside of Coors Field where he was with Colorado. He's a pretty solid pitcher. I'm, I'm in on Chatwood now that he's outside of Coors. Good. I'll take him too. Totally. I'm in. I mean, I kind of like Odorizzi too, to be honest. I mean, I play in a number of AL only leagues and I do like the jump from the AL East to the AL Central. Obviously, much better teams, much better hitters ballparks in the East. He goes to the Twins pitcher-friendly ballpark, gets to face the Tigers and the Royals, even the White Sox um, in that pitcher-friendly ballpark with a good lineup behind him. So I like Odorisi too. And then he asks, Corey Seager or Didi? I mean, I'm biased. I love Didi. I also think you're getting Didi at a significantly discounted price compared to where you're getting Seager at the end of the season. I don't think their numbers are going to be too far off. So if we're talking about where you're drafting the guys and the value in the draft, I'm going with Didi 100 that's an interesting um, comparison because I saw one of our podcasters, Joel, arguing with Ray Flowers about Didi Gregorius or Corey. Uh, is it Kyle or Corey? Corey. I just, Corey how yeah. could you say that? the third baseman on Seattle. I just don't know how you could pick Corey over, or Didi over Corey. I just don't get it because of this one. Maybe, but I don't see it. I would I mean, take if I had the choice, If I had the choice – like no, not, nothing to do with the draft or where you can get the guys. I would probably take Seager and I would take Chatwood. But based on where you're drafting the shortstops, Seager probably being the third or fourth shortstop off the board, Didi going significantly later. I would take Didi because I think you're getting a similar player to Seager, maybe not as high of a batting average, but more RBIs, more home runs. And you're getting him later. And as long as Didi's hitting fourth, in the Yankees lineup, I mean, those RBI totals are going to go way up, and he's going to see so many pitches to hit hitting behind Judge Stanton and in front of Sanchez. I think he hits in the prime, most optimal um, spot in baseball, potentially. He might have the juiciest spot to hit in all of baseball right now. I mean, that's totally true. I agree with you. I, I, I would say this. I don't trust D.D. Gregorius' numbers from last year that much. I just don't trust it. But I do love his lineup. I do think that his numbers will probably be similar to Corey Seager. So how can I justify saying to take 
Corey Seager over Didi, especially where you got him in the draft. I mean, I would have to say that Didi has much more value for your money. Yeah, and that's that's just it. I mean, if you're asking me who's the better player, is Seager is the better player overall, I think. And that's not a knock on Didi. That's just how good Seager can be. But Lenny brings up another point. Seager has a bad back as well. Okay, so that's a problem. I don't even own Seager, if that says anything. I don't own him on any teams. I never considered Nor drafting him. Nor do I. He goes too high for me. And I do own Didi because I think you can get him at a discounted price, as we've talked about. And I know you don't trust his numbers from Didi last year, but he's progressively getting better. I mean, you look at his numbers when he was with Arizona when he first came over to the Yankees, and he's right. He's, he's on the rise. I mean, he's in his prime right now, and he started off the season injured last year, came back, and didn't play a full season and still had tremendous numbers, set career highs in a number of categories. And I think he's going to improve upon those numbers this year, especially based on, again, where he's hitting, who he's hitting behind and who he's hitting in front of. I mean, Stanton and Judge are going to take a lot of walks and he's going to have a lot of RBI opportunities and they're going to pitch to him because they don't want to have to pitch to Gary Sanders. I totally agree that the lineup is a huge, huge benefit for him. Um, he, he could end up with, better stats than these other guys that we're thinking is, you know, um, um, the we'll see comparison I've had Andy. And I think it might be a better one because they're going closer to each other in the draft would be Xander Bogarts and DD Gregorius, because those guys are going pretty much next to each other in the shortstop rankings in drafts. DD had such a good year last year. Bogarts had a tough second half last year. So based on recency bias, people like DD, but I mean, we haven't seen the best from Xander Bogarts yet. I'm a big Xander Bogarts fan. And that's coming from a guy who, you know, can't yeah. stand the Red Sox and is a big Yankees what? guy. And I still like Bogarts more than DD overall as a player. See, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't. I would have taken Didi over Bogarts, and a lot of it's based on the lineup. And I don't know what the big difference is because the Red Sox have a good lineup too. It's just like I don't know. It's overwhelming the Yankees lineup. It is, and you gotta love when Didi's playing in Yankee Stadium with that short porch because even he hit a couple balls um, the last few games when they've been at home, and two of them ended up going off the wall, but one of them went out of the ballpark, and it pretty much doesn't leave any other other stadium it goes off the wall but in new york you hit a hard line drive to right field and you can get a home run and dd has that perfect swing he can take inside pitches pull it right down the line and get a bunch of home runs like he might be a 30 home run guy this year if he plays a full season it's so funny b don calls it milwaukee wrigley north and i think i read that actually that's exact uh term terminology in an article today they call it they call a uh miller park uh, Wrigley North. It's probably cheaper to park your car there. You could probably drive to Wrigley North, park your car, and spend the night for what it would cost you to park at Wrigley Field. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I was going to Wrigley, I'd probably take an Uber. Or, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's I, like sixty dollars for the Dodgers game. Yeah, I do the same thing for the Dodgers games here. I've never driven to a Dodgers game here ever because the parking is crazy. The parking lot is massive, and just to get into the parking lot, there's like a giant line of like twenty million cars. So I wanted to just bring up this one article I found. Um, it was a survey done by Go Banking. Uh, it's a financial institution, but they basically they uh, did a survey based on last year's uh, papers, tax papers and stuff, how much it costs to go to a game at all of the stadiums. It's the most and least expensive stadiums for MLB fans to watch a ball game. Now, what they did was they had 
tickets for two, two hot dogs, two beers, and two uh, seats, two tickets for two seats. So I wanted to tell B-Don because, uh, well, we haven't been to this new SunTrust Park in Atlanta, but we went to the old stadium with B-Don. It, the Atlanta game is the second cheapest, only to the Colorado Rockies Coors Field. But I talked to my friend about Coors Field because they live there in Denver, and I told him what this thing said. It's basically $6 for two beers. Parking is $14. Two hot dogs is $10, and two tickets are $20, so it only costs 50 bucks for two people to go to Coors Field. And he was like, that's not true. You cannot get any beer for 3 bucks at Coors Field. Now, I know that they they have Coors Light. That's brewed there. So maybe on certain days of the week, they could have, like, you know, two Thursday double night or whatever, ladies night or something. But it's hard to really trust the rest of this article when, when your own friend tells you there's no way in hell you're getting a beer for 3 bucks at Coors Field. That's very true, and I could speak from um, experience with two ballparks. One, Yankee Stadium. Some of the prices are insane, yet any time I've ever gone to Yankee Stadium, I've never paid more than 20 bucks for a ticket because the bleacher seats are so dirt cheap. You can get in there for like 18 bucks compared to like 350 bucks behind home plate. And then I know in Toronto, um, I don't have it anymore, but you know how in Canada they don't have the $1 bills or whatever. They have a loony $1 coin and a toonie. They used to have toonie Tuesday. So you could get an upper deck seat for a toonie in Toronto. And I used to always go because, it's, I mean, think about it. You pay two bucks for a ticket. Even if you're buying a hot dog and a beer or something, your night's like 15 bucks to see a baseball game. It's, it's, it's amazing. So uh, it's Rogers Center in Toronto, which Lenny and I have not gone to yet, but hopefully we'll get to go there soon. Mark is going to school right up near there. So I'm thinking that my chances are getting better and better as Mark continues to do well in college. Um, they say that, you know, there's a hotel attached to this stadium there's a hotel right there that's where a lot of the alumni stay um you can actually look out your window watch the game watch the game game. yeah yeah so it says here they're this number they're the sixth most expensive it costs two for two tickets is 32 bucks now even this like i can't even imagine getting two tickets for 32 bucks because what in in what ballpark can you get a seat for 16 dollars? i just don't even know like the most family-friendly parks in town, they still charge 30 bucks a ticket to, to a game, but okay, maybe they're getting the lawn seats. Fine. Two hot dogs, $10. Two beers, $13. There's no, I've never seen a beer for, for less than 10 bucks at a ballpark. No, and you're better, better off trying to sneak in your own beer. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, but let me check out the Cubbies. It, Cubbies is right in the middle. But I will tell you from experience that the Cubbies to park, it was like 50 or $60. It says here it costs $19 more to park at Wrigley Field than it does at Target Field, but you also get hit in the wallet after you enter the building. Um, they're only listing the parking at Cubbies at $25. So, yeah, I, this article is junk, yeah, even though it's fun, it's fun to read. It's, uh, it's interesting to think about that, though, because you think about it, Target Field is one of the newer ballparks in baseball. Wrigley's been around forever. Mm-hmm. So when they built Wrigley Field, they probably weren't thinking about having yeah. legitimate yeah. parking options because at that time, I mean, how many people were going to games? How many people even had cars? Yeah. Um, there was yeah. obviously in Chicago, they have the like the, the, the L train or whatever it's called. I think DT yeah. put that up yeah. in the chat room. At Target Field, they, it's recently made, so they probably specifically made it so that parking is a 
lot easier to get. Oh, yeah. There's two huge parking garages right next to uh, the stadium in Minnesota at Target Field. The The stadium is like right outside of downtown, but it's walking distance from downtown city center. You can walk there, but... Definitely, um, if you're driving from any of the suburbs, there is ample place to park your car. And Wrigley is exactly what you said. It's it's one of the oldest stadiums in baseball. It's in a part of town where it's very busy. There's a lot of shopping, and all of the restaurants and bars are like Cubby fans galore. I mean, Cubbies have literally probably the best fans in baseball. I mean, no offense to, like, Cardinal fans or anything, but just Cubby fans are – are good fans. You have to be great fans when you don't win for 108 years and still love your team. I mean, they're drunk fans, but they're great fans. They are. And I mean, the, the stadiums that have the, um, like the subway stops, they are pretty much right into the stadium are obviously advantageous. I know in New York they have it. I know in Toronto they have, a, they have, I think it's called a union station in Toronto where you can go right into union station, walk two minutes and you can either go to where the Raptors and the Leafs play or right to the Rogers center where the Jays play. I mean, it's all connected. It's, it's, it's amazing. I can't um, wait to go to there about parking. Um, the Rogers center itself is like, okay. I mean, I don't love the field there. I don't love the food there, but the Jays fans are certainly, very rowdy they drink a lot and it's always packed they're definitely up there when it comes to attendance i'll have to do some research and get the attendance for the ballparks because it's pretty interesting to see the teams that never get i mean some of the teams that you would think would be full all the time are at the bottom of the list for attendance Honestly, the only time there might not be a lot of fans at Jays games is during the hockey playoffs or the NBA playoffs. If the Leafs and Raptors are in the playoffs, it might take a bit of a hit. But outside of that, um, Jays, the Jays stadium, it, it fills up very nice. What month is the hockey playoffs? playoffs. Um, middle of April till about June. Oh, perfect. Okay, that's a great time to get a room there. But the hotel oh, yeah. room okay. prices are what they probably fluctuate like crazy. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's more hotels obviously than just the one no. attached to to the stadium. No. No. But I mean, if if you're gonna do it, you want you want you want to do it where you're attached to the stadium because that that's just cool. You know, know right see, now. here's one thing for me and Lenny, we're opposites when it comes to this. He loves to get there. He wants to be the first one there. He has to be the first guy waiting at the gate when the doors open. He wants to watch batting practice. That's how he's done it his whole life. And so I really try hard to allow him to do that but it frustrates the hell out of me because i'm the type of person that wants to show up like 15 minutes or five minutes before first pitch and then i'm I'm good to go you know um it's just my personality but with stadiums like this that we could get a hotel that's really close like that especially one that looks right down in there like i could take my time and lenny could be watching batting practice for the first couple hours and then you know it's not so bad i don't have to like walk take a cab get to the game it's just right next door yeah, well, it's it's perfect for you guys. And I mean, I'm more like Lenny. I like to go. I mean, I don't go to a ton of games anymore either. So when I do, I like to go early. I like to watch batting practice. I like to try and go down and talk to some of the players. I mean, I remember in Toronto specifically as a Yankees fan, they came there like nine, ten times a year. I'd go there. I'd walk down. I'd try and talk to some of the players. I got a game used bat from Bernie Williams one time. So many Derek Jeter autographs just going early. So for me, I've always enjoyed that. But I understand where you're coming from for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, especially if you have young kids because they will come over. They'll sign your hat. Um, they'll sign your ball. They'll do, you know, and you could work both sides of the aisle that way. Lenny's taught all three of his kids how to wear one jersey and then change your jersey and go over to the other team and get them to sign your ball. 
<laughs> okay. That's a great option. I mean, for me, I'm sure Lenny's probably used you before. For me, I've already told my, my lady Meg that when the Yankees go to uh, Anaheim this year, she has to dress a little more provocatively, look super cute so she can go down and get the attention of the players so they come over to us. Did she say that would be okay? Be okay. She said as long as it's Aaron Judge and Brett Gardner, she's down. She loves Judge and loves Brett Gardner. Right on. Okay, well, good. You got a good lady there. So with that said, we will be out. We will see you next week. We're probably going to be back on Tuesday, right? Yeah, I mean, as long as Lenny doesn't need another computer and microphone, we should be good, right? Right. You know, sometimes emergencies happen. And, you know, like I said, well, we talked about this before the show, trying to maintain the website, trying to make changes, trying to speed it up, trying to just make it run properly. Sometimes can take like all day for one thing. The other day, Brandon posted an article and all of a sudden it was just gone. It was like, what? Where did it go? I don't get where it went. Nobody touched it. How could it be gone? And we, I mean, I... I have still really don't know the answer to that, but we got it worked out to a couple hours and it's back up. But you know, at any given time, some emergency could arrive. It could just, just. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we do have the open spot now because of the, um, I forget the name of the show, but I know they're on a little bit of hiatus for a couple months. So Bordy so Barn Refugees. Yeah. We had the open spot for Friday. So, I mean, why, why not give the, give the people what they want and, I know, and they all want they all want it. Baseball talk all the time. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so okay, everybody, catch you later.